global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Stocks are retreating from nine-week highs following the S&P 500's longest winning streak in five months. After worsening economic data from Asia, reignited concern over the outlook for global growth. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 down 8 tenths percent or 15 points to 1985. Dow Jones Industrial Average down 6 tenths percent or 108 points to 16,965. And the Nasdaq's down 7 tenths percent or 34 points to 46.74. Ten-year Treasury up 23.30 seconds. The yield 1.82 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.86 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 2.1 percent or 79 cents to 37.11 a barrel. COMEX gold up 3 tenths percent or $4 to 12.68 an ounce. The euro, a dollar ten forty one. The yen, one twelve point seven zero. Two United Continental Holdings shareholders will nominate airline turnaround artist Gordon Bethune to lead a slate of new directors in an effort to overhaul the airline's management. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway said it'll sell bonds in part to repay a ten billion dollar loan used to finance its purchase of Precision Cast Parts. And Sanofi and Merck plan to end a two decade long joint venture to sell vaccines in Europe as revenue from the products dwindles. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Bloomberg Surveillance this Tuesday. Brought to you by Marks Panath, LLP. Ranked among the top three forensic accounting firms in New York by the New York Law Journal for the sixth year in a row. Visit MarksPanath.com. M-A-R-K-S. Panath. P-A-N-E-T-H. MarksPanath.com. And we thank them. Looking forward to the seventh year uh, in a row. The sixth year in a row that they... uh work in this difficult area of forensic accounting. Brian Jacobson is a brave soul. He's with Wells Fargo, and he thinks about what to do with money, particularly in a single-digit world. Brian, you beautifully revisit dollar-cost averaging, which by definition works within greater volatility and a double-digit world. Can dollar-cost averaging work in a lethargic, low-return world? Well, thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, it's not that brave to say let's go with the tried and true method of uh, saving early and saving often, which entails dollar cost averaging. Uh, the problems I think everybody's trying to pick a top or pick a bottom as far as when they're doing their allocations and uh, living in a binary world like that can create a lot of volatility with your portfolio. And, in fact, if you have a volatile market, the dollar cost averaging can really help you uh, sort of smooth out uh, the, the cost basis of your portfolio. Yes, ideally, we'd like to pick the bottom for getting in, but Mm -hmm. uh, that's somewhat of a fool's errand. Yeah, but within that is the new regime we're in. I mean, if we can all agree we've moved from 20% a year to 12% a year to somewhere south, the major metric I see is we just have to put aside more money. I mean, that's what we've heard interview after interview. When there's that desperation to put aside more money, is the first order condition to just put it aside, or does DCA really work? Well, I think that the first thing you need to do is to increase the amount that you are saving to reach those long-term financial goals. Because in a low interest rate environment, if you think about uh, uh, it's not just a low interest rate environment, but we all face the prospect, thankfully, of having longer life expectancies when we're in retirement. 
that increases that uh, that liability effectively that you're trying to fund. So you have that longer time frame and you have lower interest rates, and that means that now you need to save a little bit more, which is, I think, behaviorally what people have been doing. We've seen an uptick in the savings rate in the United States, so that's encouraging. But uh, for investors who are looking at how then to enter the market, I think that dollar cost averaging where you're doing it every single month or maybe even every single week uh, – if you can increase the frequency with which you do it, that can really help. So even if you don't have a directional market where it's moving up or it's moving down, even if there's just that volatility where you've got lots of ups and lots of downs, uh, the dollar cost averaging can cover over a multitude of market timing sins. You mentioned save early, save often. Now, let me bring up something I was talking about with uh, Jack Bogle a little while ago, and that's these uh, firms now. I realize you're at, at Wells, but firms that uh, suggest you uh, direct deposit some of your paycheck into stock funds uh, that they manage, uh, you know, passively. Um, is is the market the best place to save? For many people, it might not be the best place to save if you aren't necessarily fully funded with uh, what I refer to as your your liquidity bucket or your precautionary balance bucket. You might want to fill those up first before you look at some of those, uh, you know, perhaps riskier parts of the market. I think that for a lot of people, it's somewhat uncomfortable to see the volatility in their portfolio if they don't first build up that base level of savings that they need to to weather certain market storms. Uh, one of the you know old classics in, uh, in financial economics is almost uh, if you think about it as building a pyramid, if you will. You know everybody's probably heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You've got to take care of that base level first. And I think for a lot of people, mm-hmm. you have to have that safety first principle, which is make sure you have enough cash balances and precautionary balances that you don't have to fixate on the right. daily ups and downs of the market. Uh, Brian Jacobson with us with Wells Fargo. Brian, um, I turn to the Center for Retirement Research, Boston College. Alicia Manel and the people up there are doing absolutely brilliant, acutely mathematical work on what we're doing actually with our money. And one of their great studies of the autumn of last year is a basic idea as the kids leave home and we, it's, it's laughable how minimal people increase their 401ks, their retirement plans when supposedly the tuition bills are done. What is your prescription to change retirement savings behavior? Does the government have to step in and and just massively increase the incentives to go to 401k? You know, that's a real tricky question because they have increased the incentives to go to the uh, the 401k, but that doesn't really seem to be doing it for a lot. Exactly. I think, exactly. I think yeah. changing the rules as far as, uh, you know, they took a big step forward by having uh, default enrollment as being an option, effectively taking care, uh, taking advantage of our laziness. I think that might be a good way to uh, perhaps nudge people into saving more prudently for their retirement. You can put things more on autopilot in terms of having automatic escalations of your contributions to your 401k. So I think that just allowing plan sponsors to design plans that better fit the behavior 
of planned participants mm-hmm. will really go a long way to helping people fund their retirements. Uh, otherwise, you get into a situation yeah. where, like it or not, we'll just all have to work a little bit longer in retirement. Yeah, my, my headline on this, and this comes from a lot of work, I, a major shout-out to Peter Orzag and his time at Brookings, is the bottom half, bottom two-thirds of the country, have to be massively incentivized to get going on this. Well, uh, now we've talked about uh, people putting their money in the markets. What are you expecting from the markets? You had a fairly uh, aggressive call for uh, the S&P 500 this year, and we've had a fairly lousy first couple of months. Uh, Are you still sticking with that? I am, and actually there was a Bloomberg brief uh, that just came out this morning uh, where they uh, did a little uh, interview, a Q&A with me, and that was a lot of fun to discuss. And unlike a lot of people, I haven't really lowered my targets for the S&P 500 for the uh, balance of the year. I still think we could see 2250 on the S&P 500. I'm not saying we're going to end the year at those levels. I think that, you know, trying to pick what's the level of the S&P at, uh, you know, the last day of the year, why not just ask me what it's going to be on, you know, June 3rd or some other random date. I think that I usually think of these things in terms of trading ranges, and I think that we could move up to 2250 if we get – there's three key things that we need to see. I think we Mm -hmm. need to see – additional policy moves out of China to stabilize their economy and their currency. I think we need to see the ECB, instead of having a draggy disappointment like we had in December, I think he needs to beat expectations when they meet on March 10th. And we need to see the Fed be very patient when it comes to hiking rates. I think that Lael Brainard, when she was speaking yesterday, she did a very good job of outlining the reasons for why the Fed should be very cautious when it comes to hiking rates. Brian, thank you so much. Brian Jacobson with Wells Fargo with uh, uh, something we don't spend enough time on, which is the shaky retirement structure of uh, the nation. Mike, I can't say enough about Alicia Monell's work at Boston College at the CRR. I've been a leader on that. And it's, it's just, it's just jaw-dropping. I, I will mince no words. The failure of ERISA of 1974 is just stark as can be. And, you know, we can't do enough discussion of that. should bring her on, and uh, she can give us advice for people who have children who will need to be educated and therefore cannot retire. Yeah. What our savings plan should be. But, you know, we came out of this, folks, with Eisenhower and then Jimmy Carter and, and, and President Reagan and others jump-starting ourselves into an organized retirement. It was all based on choice and freedom. And remember, you got toasters and... Free flags and bagels were served, and for, I believe, the working number Alicia has is for 81% of Americans, 8 out of 10, it hasn't worked. And it's just all there is uh, to it. We'll be, somehow, I think we'll be doing more of that as we go through 2016. Right now, a pause in the market. It's been really a, a good number of days, negative 95 on the Dow, then down 13 points on the S&P 500, 1989. The Dow under 17,000, the VIX 18.40. One-year trailing return, S&P 500, negative 4%. The Dow, negative 5%, looking back 12 months. We are produced by YU Yen. Ken Felio, our global technical director, is Bloomberg Surveillance.